Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us about many things, and one of the things it tells us about is, is angels, those real, personal, but usually invisible, yet mighty creatures, the servants and the messengers of God. Maybe you children, maybe you children can remember some of the times angels appeared in the Old Testament. You could think maybe of how when Jacob was in Bethel and he had that rock for a, a pillow on which he laid his head and he had that dream, didn't he, of, of, of a ladder that went up to heaven and the, the, angels, of, of, the angels of heaven were ascending and, and descending on it and the, and the Lord was, was above the, the ladder. Or you could think of how maybe the, the, the two angels along with the Lord came and, and visited Abraham and Sarah. And now those two angels then went on to Sodom and they, they rescued Lot out of, out of Sodom and his family. But do you, do you know, children, what time in history angels appeared the most? Right around the time of our Lord's coming unto this earth as a human being. If you, if you read Matthew and Luke, there are three angels, angel appearances before the birth of Christ, one to Zacharias, which we read, one to Mary, and, and then one to Joseph. And on the night of his birth, there was another appearance, wasn't there? There was that appearance of the angel to, to the shepherds announcing that the Christ was born. And then a whole host of angels appeared in the heavens praising God. That tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that the birth of Christ the birth of Jesus Christ is a major event. It's something that, that you and I need to pay attention to. We need to consider. You see, the, the reason the angels appeared so much at this time was to draw attention not to themselves, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the angels are there. And that's important to remember because it can be easy sometimes. We, we read about angels and we can get all kinds of questions about angels, can't we? We can wonder, well... Are there, are there guardian angels, a guardian angel for each person? Or, um, you know, when, what day of, the, of creation were the angels created? We can have all, all sorts of questions about the angels. But that's not why the Bible tells us about them. The Bible tells us about angels, not so that we would be fascinated by them, but so that we would be fascinated by the gospel. You heard last week a sermon on how the angels desire to look into the gospel, the gospel that is proclaimed to you and to me. You see, the Bible tells us about angels in order to lead us to an increasing faith in God, in Christ, and a growing submission to and obedience to the gospel, the gospel concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true particularly in Luke's gospel really in, in all the Gospels, in Matthew as well, which tells us about the angel's appearance to Joseph. But, but in the first four verses of Luke, Luke 1, which we read, Luke introduces his Gospel there, and in verse 4, he makes clear that he wrote his Gospel account in order to establish, to strengthen Theophilus in the faith, that thou, he says, mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And what's the very first thing Luke writes about? 
after stating that's his purpose. He writes about the angel's appearance to Zacharias, doesn't he? And then he goes on, as we hope to see next week, he, he goes on to write about an, the, the angel's appearance to, to Mary as well. The appearances of the angels, especially in Luke's gospel, but really also in, in the others too, is, is meant to strengthen our faith, our trust in, and our submission to, and obedience to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And don't we need that, dear congregation? You see, faith isn't natural. It's a struggle. It's a fight. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. It can be a struggle to to come to faith. And it can be a struggle to, to persevere in faith. Even the godliest and the holiest Christians struggle at times to rest fully on Jesus Christ, to rest on all the gospel promises of God. Faith can be a struggle It can be a struggle in a specific situation, a difficult hardship, a trial, a challenging relationship, a a painful loss, a a chronic illness, a persistent sin or, or temptation. But faith can also be a struggle in the ordinary stresses and difficulties and challenges of life at work or at school, in the home, and even in the church. God's people often find themselves struggling in their faith, in their submission, and in their obedience to the gospel. Maybe that's, maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you're struggling to come to faith. Maybe you've been struggling for a long time. Or it could be you're, you're here this morning and there's no struggle because if you're honest, you don't have no desire for faith. You don't, don't really care about the gospel. Oh, beloved, I I hope you'll come along with me then as we look at this story in Luke chapter 1, the account, the true account of the angel's appearance to Zacharias, recorded in Luke 1, verses 11 to 20. In that passage, the angel Gabriel suddenly appears to Zacharias and and he makes an announcement. It's an announcement about about the birth of a son to, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. But it's more than that. This announcement of the angel to Zacharias is a gospel announcement. That's what makes this, this announcement so special and so important. It's an announcement about people turning to the Lord. It's an announcement about the coming of the Lord. It's a gospel announcement. Luke says it in verses 19 to 20. The angel says it rather when he says, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee these glad tidings. The same word used throughout the New Testament to speak of the proclamation of the gospel, the good news. And he goes on and he says, Behold, he says to Zacharias, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things, these glad tidings, this gospel news shall be performed. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Do you see what, what Gabriel's saying his announcement is about? It's about the gospel. It's an announcement from God, the gospel from God. And it's going to happen. God is determined to make it happen. And so, as we consider our theme now, under the theme Gabriel's gospel announcement to Zacharias, we'll have three headings. First, what a comforting announcement. 
Secondly, what a momentous announcement. And thirdly, what an uncovering announcement. Gabriel's gospel announcement to Zacharias, in the first place, what a comforting announcement it is. The angel really begins his, his message, just he, he front loads it, really, with, with comfort, you could say. You, you look at what he says to Zacharias in, in verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Well, I'm sure you can see with me what a comfort this was, of course, to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Luke tells us a few verses earlier that, that this godly couple was childless. And that was a great burden, especially in those days, because to be, be childless as, a, as an Israelite, as, a, as a, one of the people of God, it was, it, for Israel, it was being barren was considered a punishment from God. And so, so to be told they were finally going to have a child was a great comfort. But the comfort goes, goes much deeper and, and much wider than that. You see, one of the comforting gospel truths revealed in the angel's announcement is this. God never forgets or fails his people, even when it feels like it. Think about the context with me for a moment. Here are Zacharias and Elizabeth, both from the tribe of Levi, both godly people. It's interesting if you... If you study what their names mean, Zacharias means the Lord remembers. And and Elizabeth means the oath of God. Names that speak to the faithfulness of the Lord. And and their lives testified to to their confidence in the Lord's faithfulness. They were were godly people. Verse 6 says that they were both righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Blameless. In other words, congregation, these were faithful believers. People who knew and who trusted the Lord and His Word. Also His promise. They would have known His promise of a coming Messiah, a Deliverer and a Savior. And yet there had been no new word from the Lord. No special revelation from the Lord for over 400 years. That's how long ago Malachi prophesied. What's more, the people of Judea were under the dominion of Rome. And even worse, the king that Rome put in charge of Judea was none other than Herod the Great. Not only a cruel king in many ways, but but he was a descendant of Esau. And if you know your Bibles... You know that that's totally contradictory to the promise that God had made to Rebekah when Jacob and Esau were born. It was Jacob who was supposed to rule over Esau. But here is the descendants of Jacob and a descendant of Esau is ruling over them. It's exactly the opposite of what God had promised. And then then there was Elizabeth's barrenness. Again, a seeming contradiction to God's promise for those who loved and who served him. And humanly speaking, there was no hope of that ever changing because both Zacharias and Elizabeth were old. You see, if there was ever a time when it would have felt like God had forgotten, when it would have felt like God had failed, like His promises meant little or nothing, it was then. 
there was ever a time when prayer might have felt pointless, even silly, foolish, when it would have felt like there was no one to hear and no one to answer. It was then. It's in that context that suddenly an angel, a heavenly messenger from God, appears to Zacharias in the temple. And the first words out of his mouth after having first to tell Zacharias, fear not, because Zacharias, just like all of us would have been, if we would have seen an angel appear here in church, we would be terrified and frightened. So he was terrified and frightened. He was, he was disturbed. And so the angel told him to fear not, but then the first words out of the angel's mouth are, thy prayer is You hear the comfort, beloved. Whatever the prayer was that the angel was referring to, and commentators discuss this, but whether it was Zacharias' personal prayer for a child long ago, or whether it was his priestly prayer as he was in the temple burning the incense, which was a symbol of the prayers of God's people, whether it was his priestly prayer then for God's fulfillment of his gospel promises, or whether it was both those prayers together. The point is, thy prayer, Zacharias, is heard, meaning God has not forgotten. God has not failed his people. His word to them and his promises to them, also his gospel promises, his promise of a coming Messiah, of a Savior, and of a Deliverer were true and are true and trustworthy, even when it didn't feel like it. The same is true today. And isn't that a comfort to know that? Aren't there ever times in in your life when it feels like God has forgotten you? Or like God has failed you? Aren't there times when His promises seem to have been canceled? Aren't there times when your prayers and your prayers that even are, are prayers for good things, for, for not just a, a grocery list, but, but prayers for, for the Lord to fulfill his gospel promises, when those prayers even seem to just hit the ceiling and bounce right back at you? And you wonder, is it even worth it? Will the fulfillment of God's gospel promises ever, ever happen? You ever have those times? I have those times. But here in these words of Gabriel, you see, we are, we are given comfort, we are given strength for faith, we are given reason to believe in God and in his word and to keep on believing. Because right when it seems so silly to pray to him, right when it seems and it feels so pointless to worship him, Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias reminds us that God is real, God is true, and he does not forget He never fails his people or his promises. He is faithful. He does not despise, as the psalmist says, and I believe Psalm 102, he does not despise the prayers of the poor and the needy, of the destitute. He hears them even when it feels and seems like he doesn't. But there's something else comforting In the first words of the angel, it's not just that the Lord never forgets or fails his people, it's that he's gracious. You say, where do you see that? Well, Gabriel tells Zacharias not only that his prayer is heard, 
and that his wife Elizabeth shall bear him a son. But he also tells Zacharias the son's name. He shall be called, or thou shalt call his name, John. Do you know what that name means, congregation? The Lord is gracious. He is merciful. He is compassionate. And that's very significant because it's not Zacharias who's, who's coming up with this name. Just like, you know, we, when we have a child, we, you know, might do a search on Google or whatever, look for a name that sounds nice. Maybe we'll look for something that has some meaning too. But, but it's not a human that's coming up with this name. It's God through the angel telling him the name of this son is going to be John. I am revealing myself, he's saying. The Lord is saying with the birth of John, as the gracious, the merciful Lord. Oh, what a comfort that is, because isn't that the very Lord that we need? Isn't that the very Lord that you need, that I need? We need grace. We need mercy, because we're sinful. And yet, isn't that exactly where so many people struggle? Maybe that's even where some of you here are struggling this morning. You know that's what you're supposed to believe about him, yes. You might even say it with your mouth, yes, he's gracious and merciful. You might pray it in your prayers as a family together around the table. You might use those words describing the Lord as gracious and merciful. Do you believe it in your heart? Do you believe it for yourself? Do you believe it when the trials and challenges come your way? Do you believe it when you've sinned? Do you believe it when you've been sinned against? So easy. So easy to have hard thoughts of the Lord. To have even low thoughts of Him. But listen now to the angel. Listen to God's messenger telling Zacharias his prayer is heard. His wife Elizabeth is going to bear him a son and he shall call his name John. The Lord is gracious. Oh, do you hear the comfort in this gospel announcement? And doesn't that encourage you then, congregation, each and every one of us, not to stay away from the Lord, but but to go to him and and to keep going to him with with all your struggles, with all your sins, with, with all your shortcomings. To whom else? To whom else shall you and I go? Especially considering not only what a comforting announcement Gabriel's message to Zacharias is, but also, here we come to our second point, what a momentous announcement it is. It wasn't merely, you see, it wasn't merely a nice birth announcement for an old childless couple. Listen to what the angel says in verses 14 to 17. And thou, Zacharias, shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, referring to Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you see how how momentous this announcement is? The angel tells Zacharias that John's birth would cause great joy. Now, Now, the birth of a child, of course, is always reason for joy. 
And how much more for a childless couple who, who thought they would never ever be able to have children. But the joy that John's birth would cause would be unique. It would be extraordinary. He would be a joy and gladness not only to Zacharias and Elizabeth, but to many. Many shall rejoice at his birth, the angel says. But why? What makes the birth of John so special, the cause of so much joy? What, what makes it so momentous? Well, the first thing the angel says that, that makes his birth so momentous is this. It would result in many conversions. John would be great in the sight of the Lord. God would, would make John a mighty instrument in his hand. He would be a servant of God, devoted to, to the Lord, just like you know, Samson and, and other Nazarites in the Old Testament were. They were not allowed to drink wine or any strong drink. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And all of that would produce, the Lord working in and through John would produce many conversions. Verse 16, many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. The angel saying here, congregation, he's saying that God in his sovereign grace is going to, to revive his people. There's going to be conversions all over the place. Many are going to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit through John's life in the ministry. They're going to repent of sin. They're going to turn from their old ways of living. They're going to trust in and submit to the Lord their God. Oh, what a reason for joy. Wouldn't that cause us such joy if we could see southern Alberta being revived by the Lord? Seeing sinners being turned toward God, being converted, being reconciled to him, being received by God, the God who is gracious. Though we may think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. What does it have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Because don't you see what it tells us? It tells us what God is about it tells us what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It's about God turning sinners like you and me to himself. He's been doing that all throughout history ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. But the angel's gospel announcement tells us that John's ministry, telling us that John's ministry, ministry would result in many conversions reminds us that this is God's great and gracious gospel purpose with the world. That's why the world is here. That's why we're here. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. Because he is not willing, you see, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, for the Lord, turning sinners to himself, what this announcement tells us, turning sinners to himself is not a, if I may, if I may say it this way and I say it reverently, it's not a side job. It's not something that God does only if he has time for it. No, this is why he has sent his son. This is why he came. Oh, what reason that is, once again, to go to him. With all our needs, with all our sins, with all our unbelief, with all our trembling faith, because it is God's delight, it is his great joy to turn sinners to himself. And everyone that he turns, congregation, he doesn't, never ever turns away. So come. If you've never come before, come to the Lord. 
today, trusting in Jesus Christ alone. There is every reason to come. There is every reason to believe and to keep believing in him. We see that not only from, from the fact that, that through John, the Lord shows his, 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 his converting work, such a momentous work, that it's his purpose, but also through John, God was going to fulfill, begin to fulfill his gospel promises. The angel tells Zacharias in verse 17, and, and he, that's John, shall go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is momentous, congregation. John was to be the Elijah prophesied by the prophet Malachi. This is a quotation from Malachi 4 verse 6. He was to be the messenger who was to go, go before, go ahead of the Lord. He was to be the Lord's forerunner. He was to be the Lord's herald. John's ministry would be like Elijah's calling sinners to repentance and all in fulfillment of the prophecy and the promise in Scripture. And he, it would be used by God to convert, he would be used by God to convert many turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the justice is simply another reference ultimately to conversion because it's only through conversion that we are reconciled to God and that we are reconciled to others ultimately. But that converting work would also be a preparing work, you see. John's coming, as wonderful as it would be in and of itself, it was only a preparatory work for the coming of someone infinitely greater. The Lord God himself. The Lord had promised this for hundreds and thousands of years, that he would come, that he would come to save and to bless his people. And now finally, the angel is telling Zacharias, that time is here. It's about to, to, to arrive. The Lord is about to come. The time for the fulfillment of God's great gospel promise, his promise to come as a savior and deliverer of his people is here. That's what makes such a momentous announcement. Not just for then, but for now. Because you see what this means. It means that God has come. And he has come in the person of his son. You keep reading Luke. You'll find that out. That the Lord God has come in the person of his son. He came as a human being. At first as a little baby. And he grew up to save his people. As the Old Testament prophesied and the New Testament reveals, as Jesus himself says later in Luke, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Oh, dear beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. That is what this announcement is ultimately saying. And he is the one then that we, to whom we must turn. Through him alone there is forgiveness. Through him alone there is salvation from your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin. Because of him, because the Lord God has come in the person of his son, there is hope for every single lost sinner. And there is so much reason. That's why there's so much reason for joy for great joy, for true joy. I ask you this, this morning, do you have that joy? Do you? 
can be had through faith in Jesus Christ. To urge and promote and strengthen this faith in your and my hearts and lives, notice with me our last point from this text. And it's a more sobering point. What an uncovering announcement. An uncovering announcement. In verses 18 to 20, we see we get to listen in on Zacharias' response to the angel and the angel's response in turn. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. What a surprising response, don't you agree? From godly Zacharias. The gospel, Gabriel's gospel announcement uncovers Zacharias' unbelief. What a sobering thing. It shows us, doesn't it, the reality of unbelief. Here was godly Zacharias listening to an angel, a messenger from heaven speaking to him in the temple, and the first words out of his mouth are, whereby, by what, shall I know this? Zacharias wants a sign. The angel's appearance wasn't enough for him. Zacharias heard the angel's gospel announcement. When he thought about the old age of himself and and Elizabeth, it was just too much. This can't happen, he thought. It, It can't be true what the angel is saying. Beloved, it's easy to read this and to think, how could you, Zacharias? You had an angel in front of you and you refused to believe? How could you? But let's not criticize Zacharias so quickly. The gospel congregation is announced to us every single Lord's Day. It's announced every time we read the word of God. It's announced over and over again. It's been and is being announced today. And it's announced in much clearer terms than it was even to Zacharias. For Zacharias, he was told, The Lord is coming. But we are told the Lord has come. Christ has come. And we are told too what he did, that he lived a sinless life. And yet he died on the cross in the place of sinners. And then because by his death he fully satisfied the righteous wrath of God, he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, working now by his Spirit to show us that all our salvation is in him alone. And he calls us by, the, by his Spirit and through his word, he calls us to repent and to put our trust in him. And yet how quick we can be to raise objections. 
how quick we, we can be to say, no, that, that can't be true. It can't be that simple to be saved by, by simple faith in the Lord. I need something more. Lord, I need a sign. Give me an angel from heaven. Give me a a dramatic experience. Give me a miracle. Give me knowledge that I'm elect. Give me something, something so that I can know the gospel is is really true, that it's really true for me. Maybe that's what you're doing with the gospel even now. Raising all kinds of objections, trying to blunt the call of the gospel to simply believe, to simply trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Or maybe you say, No, I, I'm a believer, I wouldn't do that. Really? Zacharias, beloved, wasn't a total unbeliever, he was a godly man. He was a godly man. He trusted God even when God hadn't blessed him with children. Yet he didn't believe that God could give a son to such an old couple as he and Elizabeth were. His unbelief was about a specific promise. And how often doesn't that same kind of unbelief show itself in the lives and hearts of God's people? Oh, we might believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Thanks be to God. But then there's that promise of God, I will be with you always. And then the trial comes in our lives. Do we believe it then? Or when we hear that his his promise, that his grace will be sufficient for us for that thorn in the flesh that we're called to endure. That his strength will be made perfect in our weakness. Do we believe it then? Or when we hear his promise that he will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able, but that he will with the temptation also make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Do we believe it then? Doesn't every single time you and I sin, And then every single time that after we've sinned, we hesitate to go to the Lord, straight to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our sin and throwing ourselves on His mercy. Doesn't every time we we do those things show unbelief in our hearts? Unbelief is a reality. What are we to do with it? We did just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's life. Unbelief must die. You see, congregation, it is a very, very serious thing. God does not tolerate unbelief. He does not condone unbelief. Unbelief is sin. Gabriel makes this clear when he tells Zacharias that he stands, he, Gabriel, stands in the presence of God. And as God's messenger had been sent to him with this good news. You see what he's telling Zacharias? He's telling him that by his unbelief, he is refusing to believe the words, not of of a mere angel, but of the almighty God. And that's a serious, serious thing. 
Zacharias' punishment makes us clear. He was suddenly silenced, not able to speak until the day John would be born. Unbelief is not a small thing. Don't think that unbelief is no big deal. It is. Unbelief is something that we must repent of. Oh, let us, let us repent then of our unbelief and let us go to God even with our unbelief. That unbelief that, that, that is sometimes hidden in the darkest corners of our hearts that comes out only when, 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 when trials may become our way. Let us go to God even with our unbelief and cry, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is what we must do, beloved. We must go to God. We must run to Jesus, even with our unbelief. That's what Zacharias did. You keep reading Luke 1, you find that out. After John was born, in the eighth day, he was taken to be circumcised, and the people said to him, well, his name's got to be Zacharias, right? And they brought, him, they brought the question to Zacharias, and Zacharias writes on his slate, his name shall be called John. The Lord is gracious. And then you hear Zacharias at the end of Luke 1 being filled with the Spirit and singing, singing in praise to the Lord. And thou, child, speaking of John, shall be called the prophet of the highest, where thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission, the forgiveness of their sins. I think when Zacharias said those words, he was thinking of his own sin too. Forgiveness. You see, unbelief is not only serious, it's also so foolish. Unbelief doesn't undo the gospel. It only prevents us from experiencing the blessings of the gospel. But the gospel is still there. These things, Gabriel says, the things which I just announced to you, Zacharias, shall be performed. They shall be fulfilled in their season. See what it's saying? The gospel and every one of God's gospel promises are for real. They are secure in and through Christ, the one whose coming John's birth announced. They are secured by his birth and by his death and resurrection. Do you see how foolish that makes our unbelief? Well, then let us not be unbelieving, but believing. Let us trust in Jesus Christ. Let us believe the gospel with all its promises. Let us bring our unbelief out to the light. Yes, let us ask that God would uncover our unbelief so that it might wilt and die by the power of the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Gabriel's announcement is all about. It's about that gospel. There is nothing more uncovering than that gospel. There is nothing more momentous than that gospel. And there is nothing more comforting than that gospel. What a gospel. A gospel of grace for undeserving sinners. It's a gospel we need. 
you need. It's a gospel worth believing. Do you believe? Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. O Lord, you are the God who is faithful. The God who never fails to keep your word. Even when at times it feels like you aren't here. Our prayers are heard. Lord, hear the prayers of your people even right now at this moment. Hear the prayers of those who may be crying out to you, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe. Hear the prayers of of your people who are pleading even now, Lord. Save those in my family who are unbelieving. Hear the prayers, Lord, of your people. We give thanks that you are the Lord who has revealed yourself as gracious. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would search the the darkest corners of our hearts and bring out the unbelief that may be residing there. Expose it. That we might turn from it by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we, Lord, would not be unbelieving, but be believing. Also in the greatest challenges and struggles of life, also in the reality of our indwelling sin that remains. Lord, that we would not stay away, but that we would go, that we would run to Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Lord, that we may know from also this announcement that this is what you love to do, to turn sinners unto yourself and to receive them. All because of Jesus Christ and his work his finished work. So help us, O Lord, to believe. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.